Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Budding Industry Podcast. I'm your host, Gabe, along with my co-host, Dave, as always. And this week, we were able to talk to Charles Rutherford from Bovida, uh, a very interesting company that has a very specific product. It basically regulates the humidity uh, for as you store different goods, one of those goods being cannabis. And what's interesting about that is that they're product is marketable to a variety of industries. Charles tells us a bit about that, but it also has a strong appeal to both the cannabis consumer and uh, and companies working in the space. So it's pretty versatile uh, and it's cool to see a company realize the potential of their product and say, hey, it's good for this new sector. Um, David, why don't you tell us something else that was pretty interesting about this podcast? So Charlie, to me, is the best salesman I've heard in a very long time and his pitch comes from his personal experience with cannabis. He's also been with the company for a very long time so he's seen a lot of the transitions, a lot of the changes and the evolution of their foray into cannabis so it was it was great to, to hear from him and you'll, you'll hear his passion through his, his talking. Absolutely, I agree. And you'll see also in the podcast that he has a really interesting and unique backstory, uh, something that you wouldn't really picture uh, from someone working in this industry. And of course, we don't want to give any of it away because Charles really tells it the best himself. Um, So let's get to it. Stripped down to my skin and my bones. I love huskies, but I feel like a wolf. So welcome to Budding Industry. Uh, we have today Charles Rutherford from Bovida out of Minnesota, um, David and Gabe here as usual. So Charles, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dave and Gabe. It's great to be here. It's our pleasure. So just right off the bat, can you tell us a bit about Bovida, what you guys do, and, and what you specifically do for Bovida? Sure. I'm the business development director for Bovida, and we specialize in making little packets, and these packets are the world's only precision humidity control devices. So we've been operating for about 20 years in a variety of different industries, uh, and it's all about maintaining freshness of whatever product we're packaged with by adding or removing moisture and locking in at that specific humidity level that's right for that product. Cool. Was there a specific point in time where you or or one of the founders realized that the product was was a right fit for cannabis or the specific opportunity in the cannabis space? Well, we kind of had to be smacked upside the head with it, really. We had people that were cannabis fans that were buying our cigar-related products for their cannabis storage. And that can work fairly well for a short time, but those humidity levels are a little bit higher than what we and the rest of the industry now understands is ideal for cannabis. So they were coming to us saying, hey, we love your products because my flower doesn't dry out anymore, but it's a little bit too wet for consumption. It's a little too sticky to grind or to burn. Can you come out with a lower humidity level? Well, once we got enough of those requests, and I don't know if it was 550 or 500, uh, that's when we set to work to figure out what is the ideal storage humidity for cannabis. And so... Some of the very early research that was done on really four, only four different strains showing that the ideal humidity level average between those was 58 to about 63. That's what's kicked off the understanding in the industry that 58 to 63, 58 to 63. So if you see that, it originated with us. And as we're 
learning more, um, certain strains and certain personal preference might like it a little bit higher and might like it a little bit lower. But the 58 to 63 is a great baseline for people to uh, start with and then being able to fine-tune their own experience. Cool. So what I find interesting about this, these are the kind of you know, products that, I, that I'm really interested in hearing about and what we're really excited to discover on the podcast. It's something you wouldn't normally think about. When you think about the cannabis industry, you're not thinking about humidity levels of cannabis, but you guys were, were people who had something going. Uh, you, you, you originated in cigars, right? That was the first thing you started with the humidity process, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so you took that and you decided, and as you said, you, it was sort of brought to you by your fans, by your customers, but you realized that this had potential elsewhere. Um, did you, so you adapted your existing product. Did you have any major challenges, uh, both from a, a tech standpoint, but also any legal regulatory issues, um, you know, moving into an industry like cannabis? Yeah, we were kind of warned uh, ahead of time that even if you're not touching the flower, but you're doing business in the flower world, that you could run into a problem with banking or with uh, getting some tough questions by the federal government. And we're thankful so far that that hasn't happened. We've only, I think the extent of it has been that our bank questioned a wire transfer from one of our customers because of uh, word cannabis in their name. And so they just wanted to be sure uh, where it was coming from and what it, what it, uh, what it dealt with. So. We don't for a second take for granted our position in the industry that there is a problem, a chronic problem of overdry flour. And there's a chronic problem of flour being sold that weighs less than the amount the person is paying for hmm. because it's drying out on the shelf. And so we uh, don't take for granted at all that we get to be the solution to uh, solve that problem or prevent it from happening and we don't have to ourselves touch the flower. So that's why uh, we are very involved with some organizations doing some federal lobbying to change federal tax law, because if our friends in the business are healthier, we're healthier. I love it. And also, I picked up on there, I don't know if it was an intentional or not, but you used chronic problem a couple of times. Was that, uh, was that a little pun play on your part? <laughs> I think it may have accidentally been an, un an unintentional one, uh, <laughs> and that is itself uh, redundant, yeah. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I wanted to ask, actually, I'm not personally familiar because we're up here in Canada. We have our own uh, legislative battle going on right now. We're, we're set for legalization nationwide in the summer. But what's the, what's the status in Minnesota right now where you're based? Uh, Minnesota has a hopelessly poorly designed um, medical program of which I happen to be a, um, a medical patient. Uh, what may not be known to you or your audience is that four years ago I was hit by a careless driver on my motorcycle, and even though everyone here in the office can tell you that I walk with the grace of a ballerina, it resulted in an amputation of my left foot. Wow. And so at this point, at that point, we'd already been in the cannabis space with cannabis-specific humidity levels for about a year, but candidly, I still looked at it as patients in quotation marks quote-unquote caregivers, quote-unquote medicine. I was still skeptical of it, but then an accident, life-changing accident happens and some serious physical healing and also some nerve healing happening. My uh, opiate intake went from one a day to two a day to three a day, four a day, and that's just to sleep. And I, that, 
at four a day, that's when I really decided there wasn't a road that I wanted to go down. So I got in touch with some people that I knew in the industry who had great risk to themselves, uh, sent me what I needed, and that night, after grinding it up, putting it in a flour vaporizer, based on slowly uh, taking a puff, setting it down, waiting 10 minutes, and doing that three times, that's the night that I became a believer in the efficacy of cannabis as pain relief and sleep. And it told me that all my bad experiences with it in the past were really all due to dosage. Uh, and so hmm. my personal experience with cannabis is what informs everything or much of what we do in cannabis because we want to make sure that it's high quality. We want to make sure that it's great condition. We want to make sure that it's great experience. We want to make sure that it makes sense for brands that package with us because, of course, there's a financial component. When flour is drying out on the shelf, or in a back room, that's quality being lost and that's money being lost. And all parties win if we're maintaining the proper amount of moisture in that flower. Right, it, it's interesting, thanks for sharing that, uh, that story. It's interesting how sometimes your personal life and your professional lives kind of uh, collide like that and, and lead to um, some interesting, interesting advancements. And I'd like to get into just a bit more of your your background. I know you you started off with the company, I believe, um, way back way back when, and then I think you left uh, to pursue some other professional interests. Um, so take us through a bit of your uh, maybe maybe unorthodox uh, career path. Sure, uh, I grew up. Uh, it probably goes back to about high school or or even before that, grade school, uh, as my dad was building his career and his business and. Uh, I had choir trips or camping trips to go on. I was going door to door to door uh, with little pizza coupon books, selling those to homeowners in order to help fund my camp or my, um, my, my choir practice or whatever those things were. So the sales thing has always been deeply embedded in me and along with that, as any good salesperson can tell you, comes relationship building. And um, it just so happens that uh, the CEO of Bovida, uh, uh, worked for my dad years ago and left a very successful career to start Bovida. And I was kind of searching for what next to do in life after, um, uh, I think actually it was, yes, after the college attempt. And um, so I decided to come and work for Bovida as one of their first salespeople when my office was a door on top of the two filing cabinets in the CEO's living room. And at the time, we only had one product in cigar storage, and so it was cold calling cigar stores anywhere in the country, sending them samples, following up on samples. That was my life, hundreds of calls a day uh, to try to get some samples out, and then hundreds more calls and following up and trying to reach these people. So that was uh, that actually went awfully well for a couple of years. Uh, we got about 25% market penetration, primarily due to the performance of Bovida and how well it works, uh, because just about any monkey can sell our product. And I happened to be that monkey. Uh, but after a couple of years there, I was still racing motorcycles, but I wanted to give it more of a professional shot. And so I left Bovida on great terms to pursue those dreams. And I did that for about four years before that ended in injury. And then after that, I did a lot of different things. And uh, it was now, it'll be seven, seven years ago in May that uh, I got in touch with Bovida again and said, hey guys, do you... Uh, do you have room? And at the time they didn't, but they said, if you're serious about coming back, we're going to make room. Uh, thankfully they did. And that happened to be about the time 
that we started to get those phone calls from cannabis fans who were buying our cigar products. Cool. So it's, it's, it's interesting you mentioned, like, I'll bring it back to your previous story a bit, that you sort of got converted to being a, a cannabis user after already being in the cannabis space. Um, did that sort of... Did that inform, as, as a sales director, did that inform your sales pitch at all? Did it change the way you started to do business? Did it change your outlook on the way you were doing your own business? Well, it's what it's definitely doing is trying to get us thinking about how we can work with other brands, other leaders, uh, because we were thankful, and, and LPs in Canada, uh, we are thankful to count them as, as customers and as partners in order to make their flower fresh once it that medical shipment gets delivered. Uh, we count a lot of the biggest brands here in the U.S. as customers, people who package all of their flour with Bovida for freshness and doing the right thing for quality for their customers. So what we're trying to do is work with them to figure out how do we get the folks that maybe had bad experiences or have just not tried cannabis just because there's still a little bit of that residual branding about what a cannabis user looks like, and they don't want to be that. But how do we have those conversations with those people to let them know that, hey, listen, it's safer than alcohol, it's safer than anything else, it's uh, never gonna uh, never gonna kill you, which again, I don't think is a sales, <laughs> <great> sales <laughs> or something, is that it'll, it'll never kill you. But the point is that we want to bring people that are just about ready to give it a try and they're showing some curiosity, trying to figure out ways to tell them that it's okay to try it. This is a, uh, a very new industry, but it's a one that's becoming more professional every day and based on how they want to feel and how much of that they want to feel and how they want to intake it, there's something for them. And we would consider that a win if we're bringing people into the industry. And this includes even if they're uh, vaping an oil or even if they're having an edible because obviously we have a, only a application for flour but if the industry is growing and becoming more healthy that overall is good with us even if they're not buying products where Bovida has an application. I think it's great that uh, as as a sort of auxiliary product to cannabis you know you're not selling the flour itself you're not a dispensary or a producer in that sense but you're still trying to get involved in the culture and, and make sure that people are having the best experience possible while using it. You know, going with that outreach sort of aspect, I noticed and, and I found that Bovida actually has hosts their own podcast. I saw that online, and I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so what we want to do is we basically want people that do business with us to succeed at the expense of people that don't, uh, to put it very, very candidly. And one of those ways that we want to do it is to highlight the
put up with that anymore. There's a better way. I'm reaching for the brand that has Boveda in it because I know it's going to be perfectly fresh and I know it's going to weigh at least what it should. And so that's what we're trying to uh, bring to the world is that um, it's, it's kind of, I, I put it in the analogy kind of like Ben and Jerry's, where Ben and Jerry's ice cream were only concerned about quality till the moment that it was put into a container, you'd have really, really, really messy store shelves. And that's the same kind of responsibility that cannabis companies have is that your concern over quality doesn't end when that container is closed because that container has a lot of moisture it's going to leak before it gets into your customer's hands and depending on the volume before your customer or your patient goes through all of it. So there's really a, I think, a, a moral obligation to make sure that the customer has all the tools or the contents to keep and make that flower continually fresh until they go through it all. Uh, would you say that that's the specific um, use case that you've gone after is really the uh, commercial transportation of, of the flower versus the end user or someone looking to control the humidity um, in their home? Or can you talk a bit about the different use cases? Yeah, so there's really two primary ways that we see trying to get the world to adopt Boveda because we have a very modest goal of being in every cannabis container on the planet. And that can only happen if, right? And that can only happen if we have boba sizes in humidity levels and at prices that can be justified for all of that. So we look at it as a trickle down and as a bubble up. In the trickle down world, our argument, very easy to make to LPs or to cannabis brands is that Bovida is a quality control program that makes them more money. We eliminate the, the costly evaporation that happens in virtually every stage of their operation, including after it's packaged, and they are allowed. Then that allows them to also provide higher quality flour since moisture is totally linked to cannabis cannabis quality. Uh, so our hope there is that more brands, more packages, more consumers end up using us, even if they didn't exactly choose us the first time. They they box in there and are flabbergasted at how fresh their flower is, and that's a Boveda convert. Even though they're not really buying Boveda, they're buying a container or flower that has Boveda in it. So that's their, the trickle-down way. The bubble-up way, which can have its own effectiveness, is to get the end user really excited about the idea of not having to put up with, once again, chronically dry flower. They say, wow, this product that I'm buying elsewhere or at my dispensary and putting in my flower to fix the dry flower problem, I'd rather like I'd rather get my flower already in perfect condition than instead of having to wait a couple of days right. for Boveda to do its perfect work. So then we're hoping that they're going into their dispensary or they're talking to their favorite brand and they're saying, Hey, love your products but I'd really like to receive it in a fresh condition instead mm -hmm. of just receiving or having to buy the fix for the substandard quality that you're sending me. Mm -hmm. And it's a, and so we're working kind of both of those directions um, in different ways. It might be some of our um, more one-to-one uh, -one conversations that are working with the trickle down with the big brands and it might be our social media, might be email, might be that podcast is also one of the methods uh, just to get people understanding that there's a way, better way to store flour or a way to fix dry flour or keep flour from getting dry and that they should basically go demand it.
Makes sense to me. Um, you know, I love your positive outlook towards you know cannabis and and what you're trying to do with the industry. One thing we've found through through our podcast and when the people we've spoken to is people are excited about this. It's it's obviously a relatively new thing to be able to legally make money off cannabis and and a lot of people are focused on breaking the stigma you mentioned it a bit before in your own experience and how bovida works and and what you're trying to do as a whole have you run into a lot of challenges either locally in minnesota or nationally because you guys work nationally internationally any sort of pushback um from anybody who who knows you as a company or knows you personally even uh, in that you're working in the cannabis space, have you had to deal with any kind of pushback on sort of the moral grounds of it? And how did you deal with that? Yeah, there were a few questions internally early on, and, and whether it was the 550 or the 500 phone calls that we got from cannabis fans, maybe we rolled our eyes at the first 5 or 50 or 499. I don't know. Right. But what I did know is that we kind of looked at it skeptically. Is this really a thing? Is that really a world we want to be in? Because at the time... And still today, the, can the, the cigar world where we've been for 20 years is still a huge growth area for us. So at our staff levels at the time, which was literally three people uh, seven years ago, and now we've got maybe there we're knocking on the door of 30 here, um, there is, and a lot of that really is due to the growth in the cannabis space. So uh, especially when my story has converted not only myself because uh, I'm Christian conservative. I know it's a hot word right now here in the U.S., but I'm a proud NRA member, and I carry a gun wherever I can legally carry a gun. That's not, and I'm a cannabis supporter. Those things don't generally go together. That's so true. I had my own hesitation about cannabis uh, and certainly becoming a cannabis user, but it's amazing when you can have authentic conversations with people who are like-minded, and then you add that part of it, I'm having conversations with guys at the gun club now about mm. cannabis wow. and converting people when those are conversations I never, ever, ever would have had. Mm. And if they didn't know me as a marksman or um, my church group didn't know me as a Christian, I wouldn't be able to have those authentic conversations with them because, once again, the reality is the industry needs to shed a certain type of stereotype. And so when they see a professional person who's an athlete, a competitive athlete, even still uh, being uh, an amputee, and happens to also be a cannabis supporter and advocate, uh, again, I'm able to have authentic, powerful conversations with people that in my sphere are changing their minds. That's a really, that's a really interesting uh, perspective, especially because both yourself and Bovida uh, has kind of a foot in in both worlds. Would you say that the the image of the company has has shifted uh, because of being in the sector? So we're really our primary industries are cigars, musical instruments. That's either wood or brass because those are moisture sensitive and will suffer if they gain or lose too much moisture. Uh, medical devices, food, electronics, and of course cannabis. Um, and so we did. It's amazing how much overlap there is. I mean, I just was on a uh, on a webinar today talking about the demographic of the cannabis buyer here in the U.S. and one of their favorite things is movies or music with cannabis. And so it's not a coincidence that some creative people are also musicians. And so there's some good overlap there. 
um, maybe a little bit less so in cigars, but what we're also trying to do is draw a distinction of the similarities between these groups instead of the differences. Because when you think of a cigar smoker, you usually think conservative, uh, more upscale, uh, probably older, and that's that's probably not untrue. Yeah, exactly. And that, it's almost counter. It's almost counter to the to the image of the cannabis user, which is the younger, left leaning, you know, hippier type looking person. Which is kind of interesting, given that they're both the the smokables. You're totally right, but where the overlap happens is on the persecution. Cigar smokers. Mm-hmm. We joked about this years ago, and it's true now that it would be more acceptable to smoke pot on a street or in a club than it would be a cigar and that's happening absolutely and so the two groups are under attack the fda is trying to regulate cigars is trying to overtax cigars that's not very different at all than the federal government here in the u.s overtaxing even though they don't give them legal standing they'll happily just take all of their tax money mainly because here in the U.S., the laws that allow people to write off business expenses in a normal business do not apply to companies that touch cannabis. And so there is way more overhead for a cannabis business uh, than there is a normal business. And so really trying to draw the alliance between the two to say, hey, even though we've got our thing and you've got your thing and we don't really like each other's thing, what we definitely know is what we don't like is the federal government telling us what we can and can't do and, and overly penalizing us for doing it. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And I think, you know, I don't want to overstep here, but if we could boil this whole conversation down and, and take one lesson out of it is I think that, uh, you know, whether you're left, right, center, wherever, you know, it's cannabis that's bringing us all together. That's Someone was right about that all along. You know, it just, just everyone should join a circle and pass it around. It would be really hard to get into disagreements or arguments, wouldn't it? <laughs> what a lovely world it would be. All right. Well, you know, one thing we always try to do on this podcast is try and leave our listeners with some inspiration, some way to, to get themselves involved. And it sounds like that's part of your whole corporate mission as well. So I was wondering what advice you might have for any aspiring entrepreneur or an existing business who sort of is trying to do almost what you did where they have an existing product or service and they're saying, hey, you know what, this this might work for this new industry. What kind of advice, you know, what, what road should they go down? Well, first of all, I'd be real about it. I would recognize that if you're thinking about it now, you're probably behind. Hmm. And that road is going to be a bumpy one. And so I, having been had a life experience that I've had through feast and famine, I, uh, and, and being on the other side of 40 now, I uh, really do appreciate the idea of, uh, of planning for the future. And so my personal feeling right now would be if you're thinking of starting something and you've got something else going, get some good momentum behind your new thing before you leave your old thing. And uh, that would probably be different advice than I would give if I were 25 and invincible. Uh, <laughs> but that would be probably my best piece of advice. And the, and the candid thing is to uh, find somebody in the industry that, that you can bounce some ideas off of. Um, this industry is really built on a sense of cooperation, of almost competitive cooperation. And so find somebody to mentor you. That sounds like good advice to me. So, Charles, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to be on our podcast. Um, 
if people are trying to reach uh, Bovida or trying to find out more about your products and services, how can they do that? They can hit bovidausa.com uh, or, uh, yeah, just bovidausa.com will find our website. Uh, if they need to buy our products, they can do it there. Uh, they can also find them on, on Amazon. Uh, but if you're an uh, enterprise, a uh, business, and, uh, then do hit our website. Um, we'll be happy to set up a wholesale account for you, and uh, that would be the best ways of, of reaching out. Amazing. Again, thank you so much for your time. It's really been a great talk and a great learning experience for us. Gentlemen, thank you so much for having me. Great success to you in the future. Our pleasure. Thanks. Same to you. Thanks so much, Charles. Just